Hi, we're sisters, Amy and Nancy Harrington, the founders of the Passionistas Project podcast, where we give women a platform to tell their own unfiltered stories. On every episode, we discuss the unique ways in which each woman is following her passions, talk about how she defines success, and explore her path to breaking down the barriers that women too often face. Today, we're talking with Luz Nazario about the power of teaching. Luz is the creator and founder of Neda's Coquito, and a veteran educator with more than 25 years experience preparing and educating the future game changers. More than five years ago, Luz decided to make some game-changing moves for herself. That Christmas, as funds ran low, she needed to do something quick to tie the family over until she returned to work. Using the ingredients already at home, not ordinary, and not from abuela. Luz knew how to make coquito, but wanted something different. After playing around with and tweaking the recipe, she arrived at Noes de Abuela's Coquito. So please welcome Luz Nazario. We're so excited to hear your story. Um, Luz, what are you most passionate about? Oh my gosh. You know, it's so funny. I was, I, I was thinking about that. What would be my, my, my passion? And there's so many, but I think part of my passion would be um, to be of service to someone. Um, my love for my family and Puerto Rico, the island of Puerto Rico. So right now, those are my passions. I don't know if that's going to change next year, but right now, the, the, these are things that have been consistent. That's the beauty of passions is that they can change. <laughs> yes. So um, tell us how those passions relate to what you do for a living. Um, as you said, I'm an educator. Right now I'm in year 28 of um, education. And I like to create things and I like to show people how to do things and um, lay that little seed, if you will, in their life um, so that there's some connection, right? And so as an educator, that's what I do. I I teach so that then you can change the future. So you can be that impact. And Lord knows what we're going to have in the future, but I want to make sure that I have given that seed to my students. Um, I try to encourage them to be creative. I try to instill in them basics, what I would call basics. We take it for granted. Good morning, please. Thank you. Good afternoon. How are you? How can I help you? Basic things like that, that we would think like everybody should know that, but you'd be surprised. Not a lot of people do. And above all to smile. And that sometimes proves to be hard, but I think smiling, as I've explained to them, smiling can sometimes be very disarming um, in terms of if someone you're in a situation and you smile, they kind of don't know what to do that. Right. So that kind of opens the door um, in allowing you to then step forward. And that is where I would say I've made friendships and connections with people um, in being able to help them or be of service to people. So like I said, my love language is acts of service. And how can I help you? Do you need help with something? Sometimes, you know, it's just being there, even if it's just quiet, right? Because sometimes as um, if we've seen with this 
with the amigos, sometimes it's just being in the audience, just listening, just to provide that little boost. And um, as, as an educator, you try to, to impart those things with people. Sometimes you don't need to say a lot. And so with Neda's Coquito, we came to that. And I'm going to stop because I think you have a question and I don't want to jump too far ahead of you. No problem at all. No problem at all. Yeah, we will get to Neda's Coquito. Okay. But, but we, <laughs> what we'd like to find out is where this love of uh, this passion for being of service to people came from. What, what was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? And when did you mm. develop this passion? Okay, well... I am the youngest of four. My father in his previous marriage had three children, two girls and a boy, and I'm my mom's only child. So my, my mom's his second marriage. And there is a 10 year gap between my brother, who is the youngest of that first marriage and me. And I would say that wanting to be accepted or wanting to be part with them, because even though they're considered my half siblings, my parents always tell me they're my siblings. And growing up as an only child, always trying to be part of, of something or to help someone and um, not having them at home. I think I always wanted to, do you need help with something? Can I be there? Right. So those those things that as a kid growing up, you you want to have that acceptance and be able to have people say, oh, let's invite Luz. She can help with this. And I believe that's where that came from. And also seeing my parents, my parents are very giving. Um, I would say my mom more so than my dad. My dad is very good at organizing and getting things set. Um, and my mom is very intuitive. She can pick up on things. For example, oh, I see Nancy might need help with this. Let's let's get over there. And so seeing them do that, and they, my mom worked with the elderly. So just seeing her also take care of, of the elderly, that was, I would say that's part of that seed. I was born in Puerto Rico, and about a week after I was born, my parents, um, moved to the Virgin Islands, St. Croix. Well, no, actually, they, they already lived there, but because medical attention was not that good, they made sure I, I was um, born in Puerto Rico because my parents didn't want to lose me. So about a week afterwards, I grew up, we went back to St. Croix. I grew up in the Virgin Islands um, on St. Croix, the island of St. Croix, and that's where I grew up. But my traditions and my summers and breaks were always in Puerto Rico. My mom made sure I got back to Puerto Rico, made sure that I um, didn't lose it. I was raised knowing the culture of where I lived and embracing the traditions and making friends and um, being part of those traditions and celebrating the uniqueness. But my parents always told me, you are Puerto Rican, you're from Puerto Rico, and those traditions were at home. And being that St. Croix is a small island, which is about 45 minutes um, via airplane to from Puerto Rico, we share a lot of those traditions. So, you know, St. Croix is predominantly an island of our um, Afro-Caribbean people. 
And so that whole integration of culture and, you know, all of that just forms who I am. So for example, some of my kids, they, they hate it, but I could be in a room with someone that's Jamaican, Creole, um, from any of the islands and be able to pick up right away on their Creole and their Patois and be able to jump right in and then switch right over to King James English as one of my professors used to say, because I went to school in Pittsburgh and he was just always amazed because there's so many of us from the Virgin Islands as well as Puerto Rico. So he used to be amazed to watch us go from speaking proper English to talking so, so y'all can understand what I'm saying to coming back to King James, he's like, I don't know how you guys do that. So I, as I as going through school, I understood that was code switching, where you could do that. So that's that that was really that's where part of my cultural upbringing, part of who I am. And then I went to school in Pittsburgh, as far away, right? So how do you get to Pittsburgh? The thing is I had applied to school in Puerto Rico and at that time my cousins were also going to college in Puerto Rico and I got accepted to the University of Puerto Rico and to an American University. These are good colleges in Puerto Rico, but my mom was like, no, no, you are going to college to study. You're not going to party with your cousins. And um, I had some family, um, family in Philadelphia, my cousins, which truly like, my cousin, me, then his brother. So we're we're the stairs. And they were like, yeah, no, you're not going to Philadelphia either because you three together, no. So I was like, well, I want to go to school in the States. So I had to look and I looked and I looked and I came across Point Park College. At the time it was Point Park College, but now it's Point Park University in Pittsburgh. And I figured, well, I'm six hours away from family in Philadelphia and I'm about three hours away from the island, should I need to. My parents were very happy <laughs> when I picked. They're like, why? Oh, yes. And people would tell me, why are you going there? It's cold. And I said, I've never been to Pittsburgh. What the heck? So I went there. I studied. I started where I wanted to do journalism, broadcast communication. At some point in time, I decided to get into education. And my mom said, I always knew you'd get into education. And I was like, why? She said, because when you were little, you would line up your 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 stuffed animals and your dolls and you'd stand in front of them and start talking and you would start showing them the alphabet and you would start teaching and you'd even get this, the teacher voice. She said, from small, you had that teacher voice. I was like, oh, good Lord. But that is what happened. And I graduated with a bachelor's um, in journalism, broadcast and secondary education. Then I moved to Philadelphia. Um, I said, it's about time I go to Philly. I want to be in Philly. I was telling my mom, I got my degree. I'll be good. I'm not, it's not going to be a party school. I'm not going to, I got accepted to LaSalle University. I did my master's in bilingual bicultural education and I met my husband and um, he was, he's from Puerto Rico and um we did not like each other at first. Well, actually, I didn't like him. He says he knew right away. I'm like, mm, whatever. And I started working with a nonprofit organization called Congreso de Latinos Unidos. Um, I started teaching adults. And that was where I started. And then I was able to get um, hired by the Philadelphia School District. 
And my trial by fire was at one of the inner city schools, Julia de Burgos, which is truly, at that time was truly in the hood, North Philadelphia. Um, so when you hear Will Smith talk about, you know, born and raised West Philadelphia, well, this is North Philadelphia, trial by fire. And we, I stayed there and then we got married in 97. And as I said, we knew we didn't want to stay in Philadelphia. Even though we liked Philadelphia, I would always get sick. So winters for as beautiful as they are, I can, winters are very detrimental to my lungs. So we moved to Miami, August 31st, 1997, as I shared with you, you know, the, that was when we pulled into my sister-in-law's driveway we got out she's like ay dios mio my goodness did you hear the news and we're like well we just got here what are you talking about oh princess diana died i was like oh so i always remember august 31st 1997 is when we got to um we got to miami and what's that 28 no no 27 25 Ooh, 25 years so we've been married 25 years we've been together 20 seven years. I was looking at my kids like confirmation. <laughs> I can't tell them I forgot. I mean, we just celebrated 25 years of marriage. So you think like after that big thing I did of a celebration, I would remember how long we've been dating. And we have two kids. Um, my oldest is my daughter, Maite. She's 23. And my son, Jeremiah, he's 19. So they are truly Miami babies. And um, they're in college and working. And I've been with the school district of Miami, Miami-Dade County, 21 years, 21 years, yes, 20, yeah, 21 years, 22 years, whoops, 22 years I've been with the, the school district of Miami. And I teach middle school to, you know, that age where you, some people say, I understand why certain animals eat their youngs. That's the grade that I teach. I teach intensive reading and as well as adult education and um, college classes as well. So that is me in terms of the professional, you know, my whole preparation side. It, what is that? The, the CV, the curricula vitae, oh, that fancy word anyway, my resume, if you were to ask. That's what you see on LinkedIn. Right. That's amazing. That's an incredible journey that you took. Um, amazing that you have ended up where you are and that you're doing what you're doing. So why did you pick this age group to teach and talk about kind of what that experience is like? What are some of the biggest challenges of, of being a teacher these days? Well, you know, my practice I did in Pittsburgh at a high school, Taylor Alderdice Senior High School. And I was thinking of doing high school. And I was, when I moved to Philadelphia, that's where I applied to high school, but there was no openings. And in most places, you kind of need to know somebody. But um, so my aunt knew someone that was teaching at the Julia de Bulgos bilingual middle school. And that's how I started in middle school. And I've been there ever since. Um, I like them and I don't like them. 
right? So what I like is that you see them come in as sixth graders and they're still, you know, they come with these ideas of TV that shows in high school and middle school. And you see them really try to balance, you know, I'm not in elementary, I'm in middle school. And um, they have their backpacks and they're ready. And somewhere along the line, you see them crash like, oh my gosh, this is hard. And then you try to motivate them. And it's like, it's okay, this too shall pass. Don't worry, keep going. And you see this evolution. Seventh grade, oh, good Lord Jesus. That is, I mean, they, they are just... Their hormones are all over the place. Talk about the, the physical, the emotional hormones and oh my Lord. But they're, they, they, you see them evolve and then they get to eighth grade and you're like, okay, yeah, you need to go to high school. We're done. They become the big fish in the pond. And you're, you're thinking like, wow, you, you see this whole transition. And I like that. So, you know, seventh grade is sometimes where I'm like, oh, baby, you're so lucky your mommy loves you just the way you are. And they're like, miss, what does that mean? And I said, because right now, Miss Nazario is having a moment. You need to just leave me alone. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. Um, so that's seventh grade. But I, I, I look forward to that eighth grade when you see things start clicking for them. And then they realize, you know, some of them tell you, I'm just going to finish high school because I'm supposed to, but that's not what I want to do. And they, they start tuning in like, oh, this is what I want. And when they come back in ninth grade to visit, they have a clear idea. I've had some students say, miss, I took a business class online and I think I'm going to start a lawnmower uh, lawn landscaping. I was like, all right, go for it. You know, so you see the this whole evolution. And then the funny thing is this year, one of my former students' child is at my middle school. I nearly died. I was like, Mrs. Zara, you don't remember me? I was like, no, I don't remember you. Um, but I'm like, hi, how are you? I didn't tell them no, I didn't remember you. They like, you don't remember me, right? And I said, well... And they pulled out their phone and they said, look, this is me. When I was in your class, I was like, oh, you have kids now? And they're like, yes, miss. Did you think that? I was like, oh, good Lord. But their kids are not with me. But it's just funny to see that now they're coming. They're coming to me. And you just start to see them as parents. And they asked me, well, can, should, how do I call you? And I said, you could call me loose now. No. I'll call you Miss Nazario. I said, but it's okay. Well, can I call you Miss Luce? And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, so they, 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 you see that they're, they still feel that they need to call me Miss Nazario, even though they are 30 something years old. Um, and I, I enjoy that. So I've gone from language arts, I've taught just about everything except math. Math teachers are one of a kind, and that's why I didn't do math. <laughs> Um, and high school, I like high school. I've been going back and forth if I want to go back to high school. The only thing high school starts at seven o'clock in the morning and your girl, even though she gets up at five o'clock to go do her, her two miles. Yeah, that's, that's, I haven't been, I'm not ready. Um, and I've done college and I did the adults and that was actually kind of a dream 
for me because I wanted, I think most educators at some point in time want to teach at the college level. So I taught adults and um, I, when they need, you know, I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll do a class, not a problem. But of course that's not steady because I don't know if you know, it's based on registration, how many students sign up for this class or how, and then they need someone. So it's not, it's not as consistent. So they, I haven't been in the college for about a college classroom for about a year or so. That's fine. So now I'm doing adult ed and it's very similar. I'm doing more the preparation and career preparedness. And I do not do elementary. I realize I do not have the tolerance for the little people. God bless them. But I'm not. I, I, I just, I'm not, just the thought of saying, miss, I got something, I can't, I, I'm like, no. <laughs> so elementary teachers are truly angels because they, one year they could be doing fifth grade, then they're doing first grade and then third grade. And yeah, so elementary teachers, God bless you. They definitely deserve a lot of props. So those are the age groups I've done and not done. And I enjoy it. I really enjoy it. And some people say, well, you don't get paid. Yeah, we don't get paid. That That is true. But at the same time, there's other things that that schedule has allowed me to do. And that is to be home when my, be, in, um, be at home when my kids are home. So my kids went to an elementary next to the high school I went to. That Well, sorry, the middle school that I taught at, right? And I was able to get them in there because I was an educator, even though it wasn't in our area, wasn't in our neighborhood because I was a teacher. They let me put my kids there. If I needed to go pick up my child, that was not a problem. Um, they came to my middle school. So I had them there. Um, I think I want to say they didn't get in as much trouble in middle school because Miss Nazario, your mom was right down the hallway. So I didn't, those issues and it, they, their friends learned fast who Miss Nazario was. They're like, but they, they did enjoy the experience. Um, and then when they went to high school, they went to high school close to the middle school. So my schedule and their schedule was the same. And that was one of the things that I truly enjoyed about being a teacher at that time, because I was very worried of having, because I was a latchkey. And I could tell you the things that I did as a latchkey, and I didn't want them to do those things, especially as they were growing up. And I wanted them to be able to just have access to me as well. So not have to worry like, well, mom, when are you going to pick me up? I've been waiting here for so long or, you know, so forth. And then, of course, the summers were with them. So that's one of the things that I say that that being an educator allowed me. And that's where I would say I felt successful, right? Because I was a latchkey and my mom sometimes would not get home till six o'clock and she would leave the meat out and I would have to season it and start cooking. Um, and I had to get in, lock the door call mom I came home by that time at that time people don't know we had rotary phones so it wasn't as if mom could track me and if I was late boy that phone was ringing and I better pick up that phone 
Um, so I, I, I remember the, the, the mischief that I would sometimes get into or just feeling alone because my siblings were not at home. So they didn't live under that, that roof. Um, and just being curious. So I didn't want them to kind of have, I wanted to guide their curiosity. Let's just put it that way. Right. So that's that it, at that point, I felt successful for them. That was one thing when I think about what is success or and I think success changes for people as we go through life. Right. And so as a mom, that was I felt successful being able to be with them and have them have access to me. Yeah. That's amazing. That's really, it's really important. That's great. Um, what do you think, how has education changed in the years that you've been in the education system? And what do you, what would you like people to know that you think maybe is a misconception about teachers or something that they don't know about the challenges you face? Um, education has really changed. When I started, I don't know if you guys have seen the, the TikTok um, where, what is it? I'm Gen X, right? I was born in the seventies. Okay. Right. I'm Gen X. Okay. Um, where we've gone through all this change, everything was paper, paper-based. We had these huge grade books. They were paper. I learned how to do everything paper. And I think that's also what brought about my creativity and then transition to electronics, to technology. Um, talk about a learning curve, right? You got to learn that quick. And now, the pandemic, which just like through all of us, you better, you better swim really fast. Um, and so that's things that a lot of teachers have had to go through. And I think that's why we've had such a mass exodus. I think, and I might get some slack for this, as educators, we have to be flexible. And I think that's what the, the veteran teachers we have, they've been flexible. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people just think, oh, teachers, you get summers off. Well, you know, yes and no. But lately, within the past five, 10 years, some teachers spend their summers taking classes because we need to know what's coming next. And with states changing, a lot of the things that, you know, I live in the fabulous state of Florida. So I'm just going to leave that there. So you guys, if <laughs> what's been coming down. You know, so we always have to go and get ready. We have to prepare what's coming next. How do we change this? How do we um, prepare? One of another big thing has been the the social emotional learning, the wellness, all these things that these kids have had to go through. I understand, right? We want to we. Not only, I think we've given names to a lot of things. I'm trying to phrase this correctly because I don't want any backlash. We try to phrase, we try to give names to these things. Um, you know, social anxiety, the depression. You know, the um, all these things that our kids go through, right? And um, we we try to be of service, try to help the help the kids get and adjust. Um, and I could only do so much because that's what my district says I can do. 
and I can't do more than a lot of people want me to do. Um, what I need people to understand is, you know, we educators try, we really do try. Anyone that's coming into the field, because definitely they want to change. They want to teach people. There's a love there for learning. There's a love there of sharing. There's a love there of service. And um, I have to make so many changes in one hour. Amy just got really upset because she got a text that her boyfriend is like, I don't know if I want to see you. Nancy's upset because now she's not going to the party. And Nancy, who just loves to talk, all of a sudden has shut down. So now I have to figure out, okay, Amy, turn off the phone. Boyfriend, don't worry about him. You're too young to worry about that. Make sure you get this 135 done. Um, Nancy, do you need a moment? Do you need to step out? Do you need to go to the counselor and still teach? And make sure. So there's a lot of hats going on. There's a lot of stuff going on. And I'll be honest, there's times I've missed stuff. I don't catch everything. And one thing, the pandemic that I want parents to understand is not that we don't care for your kids, but I cannot help your child or teach your child if I'm not taking care of myself as an educator. So, you know, we've heard of this thing over and over again, as, as they say in the airplane, you know, make sure you put your mask on before you take care of other people. We teachers have to do that. And some, we get burnt out and again, Oh, but you get summers off. Yes, I get summers off, but I still have to prepare. I still have, yes, I take a break. And I don't always get paid during the summer. Okay. So there's a lot of things going on. So the good and bad is that it'll continue changing. Right. Um, we will... Always look after our kids because they are our kids. Um, have I always been a good mom? No. Have I always been a good teacher? No. But I'm human. And um, that's what I ask people to understand. We're human. We're not perfect. We do make mistakes. And I think what we, what I ask other educators, because I'm a lead mentor um, in my, I'm one of the lead mentors in my district. And I keep telling my mentees, my teachers that are coming in, it's okay to say you don't know. It's okay. Okay, sometimes you need to take a break. And especially during the pandemic, I was telling a lot of them, you need to shut off by five o'clock. And I know I got a lot of slack from colleagues and some parents, but I, there's a lot going on and I cannot be with your child on Zoom if I don't take care of what I have at home and what I have going on with me. So five o'clock, you need to stop. You need to stop or create office hours. I am not available from five to seven, okay? And if you're going to be available, it's seven to eight or seven to nine and you have to keep, you know, I, I, I it just because I try to tell them you got to advocate for yourself, especially these new teachers, because they're so gung ho. They're so excited. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I'm telling them, yes, I love that. But you need to 
do some self-care, self-preservation, because if not, teachers leave. A lot of these new teachers leave within two to five years of starting. Hello, we don't have teachers. We don't have substitutes. Okay. Um, and then to sound cliche-ish, we prepare all the other careers. Right? So it is going to continue changing. Um, and it's a... It, it is a worthwhile and yes, a noble. And as one time somebody told me, yeah, but noble doesn't pay the bills. I say, yeah, you're right. Noble doesn't pay the bills, but noble impacts the future. Right. So that's my bills are going to keep coming, but the future also. So which one would I rather, which one would I rather have a say in? I'd rather have a say in the future. So, um, we have perfect teachers, no. We have great teachers, yes. Um, one thing that I do want to put out there that's been very stressful for some of us teachers is, you know, when we have to go into a code red lockdown, that's very stressful. When we have students, I get a lot of the ESOL students, a lot of the students that come to the United States, and, you know, they come with these dreams. I'm in the school of the United States. They're, you know, they're dealing with a new education system, a new language, a new environment. There's a lot that that's going on for them that they have to. And now I'm telling them that you have to go to a hard corner. You better shut your mouth and don't say anything because they can come in and and shoot you. How do I explain? You know, I tell and they're like, is this real? I said, no, honey, it's a drill. But how long do we have to do this drill? I said, until they tell us. And so that's, they're like, but how long is that? And I said, I don't know. And you see their little faces like, you know, they're, they're scared. And sometimes I have to, it's okay. And they're like, is this all the time? I said, we have to, pre we have to practice at least once a month. Why do you practice for something like that? Because God forbid it should really happen. You know what to do. Right? So it's very stressful for us to have to tell our students that especially brand new kids. And the sad part is my kids have escape routes planned. So, you know, uh, my classroom has big windows. They're like, miss, we will jump out the window because there's a roof and then there's a window and then there's a roof because underneath. And I was like, miss, we'll take everything out. We'll put the backpacks out. So if anybody, they land on the backpacks and we're going to do this and we're going to block the doors. And I'm like, I can't, I, you know, I tell them, I, I got you guys. I got you. I got you. But my job is for you to be quiet so we can make it to the next day. So you can see your parents at the end of the day. My dad told me I got to make sure I get out of school. I said, I got you. I hear you. I hear you. What do I tell them? What do I tell them? So I, I'm having these conversations. I didn't have these conversations 20 years ago. Right. So now I'm like, I have to have these conversations, let them have it out and let them spill out and then just say, OK, do you need a moment? Do you need to go to the counselor? Do you need to go to the bathroom and just. And I I pray that it doesn't get any worse. I But, you know, the sad thing is when we see and, and then here comes this whole thing. I have to talk about mental health. Because I'm using you ladies again, Amy and Nancy are having a having a moment. 
and I have to make sure I connect them with somebody. Um, like I have one student that her mom, every other day, she doesn't come. And when I see her, I tell her, hey, welcome back. How are you? Fine, miss. I said, you haven't been coming back to class. Or can you, do you want me to send you the work via email? I guess. You know, but she has a lot of stuff going on. I'm like, and it scares me. Why? Because I don't know what I'm going to get or who's going to take care of me when I get older. And what do I mean? And I know it sounds unfair. It's kind of scary to see that a lot of these kids might be the orderlies in the home, <laughs> the, the home, the assisted living facility or, and I'm, and I, I pray and I say, Lord, you better adjust those wires because I want to live long. I don't want any of them, you know, thinking, and I, I make light of it, but you know, it's, I see it. I'm thinking, Oh Jesus. Wow. And um, I worry that they're not going to be tough enough. I do worry about that for my students that I, 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 I don't, I don't worry that they're not going to get, have a living or a profession because we all get that at some point in time, we get, um, we find a career, we find our path, right? Cause I don't know what you ladies wanted to be when you were younger. I wanted to be a triple threat. I wanted to be singer, actress, dancer, but I, hello, here I am. Um, you know, so I don't worry about that. I worry, can they make it in bad times and tough times? I seriously worry, are they going to be able to? And and sometimes I get really frustrated. And I was like, these kids are so soft. But I don't mean, you know, I don't mean it. I tried to say I don't mean it in a bad way. It, it just scares me. It worries me. We're Amy and Nancy Harrington, and you're listening to the Passionistas Project podcast in our interview with Luce Nazario. To order Luce's delicious, handcrafted, egg-free, dairy-free, and gluten-free drink, visit natascoquito.com. Now here's more of our interview with Luce. So what's the glimmer of hope that you find in all of this? Like, those are all the hard things, but obviously there's something that keeps you coming back besides wanting to give back. There must be something hopeful about all of it, too. You know what? The, the hopeful thing for me is that when I get to see, like... <gasps> Oh, she got it. I had one student. Oh, my gosh. Poor baby girl. She's this is her fourth year in middle school. Um, she started sixth grade in the middle pandemic. We could hardly ever get her online. We went to go get her in the sense, get her in the sense like, are you OK? Someone, you know, the, the administrators went to her house like, why are you not logging on and so forth? Then she came back into school when we decided to go back um, in person and um, she she was glad to be back, but she was having problems. Then last year when she did eighth grade, sorry, seventh grade, the second time. Oh, my God. I mean, she was she was having problems reading. Uh, she was an ESOL student. She couldn't exit. She could speak, but she couldn't exit. And we're finding out you see these kids and you start like, OK, this child has a gap in their learning. How are we going to bridge this? And she would struggle and she'd really have high highs, low lows. We're like, oh, my goodness. Last year, the really hard year, which and I and I and I love her because I see how she's she's evolved and she's one of those helpers miss can I help so and so and I'm like sure and even though her her you know she's behind she wants to help 
I'm like, okay, no problem. So definitely I told, I already see she's going to be in a profession where she's, where she's going to help people. Um, she lost her mom. The principal comes to my class and says, I need to talk with Isa. I'm like, and I saw my principal. I was like, no, she's like, and my, my, my principal's eyes were watery. And I'm thinking like, oh my God, here she's making all this progress. And I said, mama, um, you know, when I call my students, mama, it's sort of like a term of endearment, like honey, sweetheart, come here. And I said, mamita, come here, Isa. Um, the principal wants to speak with you. And she's thinking like, I got in trouble. And all the students are like, ooh, you got in trouble. And I'm just like, stop talking, get back on task. And the principal is escorting her. And I, I just couldn't, I was, I told the class, uh, fellow teacher and I said, can you watch them just for a moment? I just need to, she lost it. She lost by the time we got to the office. She was hysterical. She's like, what's going to happen to me? What's going to my dad? My dad, my biological dad lives in Cuba. My aunt hates me. My stepdad is weird. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm freaking out. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh. So of course, you know, she takes the time that she needs. Well, I see her struggling all of last year. This year, she came in spitfire. She's like, miss, I'm going to get this. I'm going to do this. And she is so on it. She says, miss, I got a D. What do I got to do to change that? And I said, well, what do you think you need to do? And she's like, well, I know I didn't do this and I didn't do that. But miss, I get frustrated and you need to move my seat. So now she's totally advocating for herself. And I see her taking ownership and She's, she tells me, miss, I finished this assignment. Can I take it to so-and-so? And I said, but did you finish mine? Miss, I have one more. Just give me a moment. And I'm like, okay, go, honey. And she goes, and you see, you know, that's the hope. That's why I come back. Because I'm so proud of her. You're making me emotional. Stop, y'all. Thank God y'all are not seeing this because I'm about to ugly cry. <laughs> but, you know, and I'm so proud of her. And, you know, when we had to select, she's already um, our, our turnaround student. Right. And so she's got sponsorship to all the eighth grade activities because we've seen how hard she works and um, she's just kicking butt. She's a C student, but I'm just like, girl, this is awesome. And so now you got me crying, but <laughs> but I'm so proud of her. I can't wait till she goes to high school. And I told her, listen, you know, she's going to go to high school. My kids went to, so I know she could pass by and, and stop in. But that's it. You know, those moments where you see these kids and it starts to brighten up. And, you know, she's not an A student, but I know she's going to be fine. She's going to do good. And I know it's going to click for her. And I just told her, girl, you're going to be kick ass. Just keep going. She says, I hope so, miss. I said, girl, who's going to stop you? So those moments, that's why I keep coming back. And I've had quite a few of them, you know, in 28 plus years, I've had a lot of them. And so that's why I keep coming back because then I see the future and I'm like, okay, it's not so bad, but I still worry. <laughs>
that's incredible seeing someone step into their power like that. That's yes, amazing. Absolutely amazing. So in the midst of all of this, you start your own business. Uh, <laughs> so yes. tell us how and why that came about. Well, about one third of American educators, the United States teachers, about one third of them have a side hustle, have a small business. That right there should tell you. I'm sure right now after the pandemic is two thirds of um, educators and they've gone from being what's called edupreneurs where they're teachers that become consultant. You've heard of teacher pay teachers. You know, they get into all of this because there is a need. Right. And when I say a need, I also want to say survival um, because of the changes. And NEDAS came about in 2016, where um, a lot of things were going on. There was a lot of changes going on in the country as well as in education. And there was a lot of changes going on personally. And I tried the multi-level marketing and tried different things. And I I did tutoring um, and it was fine. But this Christmas we had more December than we had green. And I'm a creative person. I like to create things. I'll see things and I was like, how can I make use of this? Or I want to learn how to do this. Or how do I do that? How do I create this? How do I make this? That's me. And um, as you mentioned, you know, I started looking at our, my husband and I had been talking, of, well, what are we going to do? And I was like, I don't know. So we had gone back and forth talking and he went to bed and I stayed awake. And um, I'd like to recycle, reuse and repurpose. So I had I, I so I had some glass bottles and I'm thinking like, what can I do with these? The spice blend. And then I went to the pantry and got a snack and I saw that I had evaporated milk because hurricane season. Um, you have a lot of canned stuff and I had condensed milk and um, oh, I had vanilla, cinnamon. Oh, we have some old rum there. Oh, I'm going to make coquito. And so I put it all together, took out the blender, set it up. And I said, I'm going to make this happen, right? So I made the coquito, the regular normal coquito that my grandmother and my mom would make. And I called some friends and I said, listen, this is what's going on. Would you buy a bottle? And they said, sure. But I had bottles of different sizes, right? And... um. They said, sure. So it covered until the next the next pay period, which was fine. And um, the next, and they said, oh, it was good. I And they said, they, my friend said they liked it. Um, so the next Christmas, my husband and I were talking. I said, what do you think if I do this again? He's like, yeah, go ahead for it. So I did it again. And every, every year someone was asking, I said, you know, I'm going to try to make this a business. How do I get this? Now, mind you, I didn't go to school for business. I had to learn business because I had to. Um, and I said, well, we're going to do Nedas. I'm going to put Noes de Abuela. And, you know, I did a Google search. This is not your grandma's. I don't like, no, we're not doing that. Because there's a lot of people that had that. And they had their own name. And I was like, I wanted something different. And so, we, you know, as I was talking, 
we came up with, why don't you just say, no es de abuela? And you could just shorten it to nedas. I said, oh, okay. And um, that's how nedas came about, um, where I would do it seasonally, seasonal coquito. And then I turned, I pandemic hit. I got COVID when I got turned 50. So it was in December. At that time, because where I live, our, our home is small, I had to actually leave the home, my home, and I was getting ready for Coquito season. And I had orders and I had, I, I started to freak out because I was starting to take it to the next level. I was starting to meet people that were the regulars that always placed their orders. And um, I wanted to take this, make this even more serious and I get COVID and I had these orders pending and I had to pack up and go to one of these quarantine hotels. That is another story for another time. But I was so upset because I was super hyped. I was like, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to do what I got to do. And I go to the, to the quarantine and at, I would start, I started to feel really down. So I was like, how am I going to get these bottles? I told these people I'm going to get them. And my, I had changed the recipe, you know, from being dairy-free, egg-free, gluten-free, because originally that's how it had started as, you know, a dairy product. Um, and so I, I, had, I had changed the recipe to definitely be no es de abuela. So I was not following grandma's recipe. But anyway, so I'm in the quarantine hotel and I'm starting to get really nervous and very upset and, and thinking I have to take care of myself. And as I turn 50, um, I'm, and, you know, I believe in the power of prayer. And I called a few friends and I said, I need you to pray with me. I called my mom, my sister, my, and, you know, they started praying with me and for me. And I started listening to praise and worship. And, you know, definitely what came to mind is no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And I went into this whole thing my life versus jeremiah 29 11 where the lord declares i have a future a plan for you to give you hope a future to have you prosper and i and i sort of in that whole thing at my 50 years old i said oh heck no i am not going down this is 50 i have 50 more years i am not giving up these 50 years this <laughs> devil's a liar i am going to beat this covid i'm going to find out what i could do and i was like okay i started tracking the days i need to be out of here in about 10 days they said 14 but i'm sure i know i'm going to be out of here in 10 days and um at that time my nephew um his girlfriend she was in event planning and she had all these connections and things like that and i'm you know, outlining what I'm going to do for Nedas and how I'm going to do this. And this is going to happen. And I said, you see this God, this is going to happen. And she sends me a message. She says, I was able to get someone to write an article um, about Coquito and they're going to be highlighting the different Coquitos in Miami, right? Because Coquito, first of all, Coquito means little coconut. Okay, in case anybody didn't know. In Spanish, it means little coconut. And coquito is a drink that's typically served during the holidays in Puerto Rico. Now, we do have the longest Christmas. We start mid-November all the way to the end of January. So coquito flows, right? So, so people understand that coquito 
is part of Christmas in Puerto Rico. And if you're in cities where there's a huge diaspora of, of Boricuas, people that are from Puerto Rico, you know about Coquito. I mean, we're talking New York, we're talking Chicago, we're talking Orlando, Miami, and they were highlighting all these people that made Coquito. And I, you know, part of me is like, those people are not Puerto Ricans. All right, you need to be highlighting me because I'm Puerto Rican, I'm making Coquito. But it turns out that era, the, um, in, Puerto, in, in Cuba, they have their version, which is a more like of a cream. And then in the Dominican Republic, they have their version, which is more of like what you would call, um, it's similar to Ponche Cuba, where it's that type of blend. And also down the Caribbean islands, a lot of them have their own type. But I was like, this is Coquito from Puerto Rico. So the lady calls and I go on and I tell her all this stuff. I was super hyped by the time I was done. I was like, yes, we're opening doors and we're going to take this to the next level. And that was like that right there got me hyped. It's like, okay, I'm going to take this serious. I'm going to take this serious. We're going to take Neda's. We're, we're going to, what do I have to learn? Who do I need to connect with to help me get Neda's to the next level? And um, at that time, oh, and then, you know, my husband was um, had also gotten COVID. My son got COVID. My daughter did not get COVID. So we had to move her out of the house. And so I came back to the house, right? And we got better from COVID. But I was able, you know, I told the people, honestly, I said, listen, I just got over COVID. I have sanitized your entire bottle with Lysol. I'll even give you a Lysol wipe. And they're like, girl, no problem. I'll buy your Coquito. And they were ordering and they were telling people and... I was just being very honest with them about it. And, you know, a lot of people started calling or they would. And that's how, in a lot of ways, Nedas has grown as word of mouth. So at that time, we are, everybody's doing Zoom, right? That's the new phenomenon, Zoom. And I see that there's a Latina meetup and they are talking about women in business. And I said, well, I have a business. I'm not really an entrepreneur or a creative, but I do have a business. So let me go to this and see about what I can get, what message I can glean from all these people. Because my circle, there's no business. They're all edu educators and, you know, all right. So I sign up. I meet Danae Canaverino. I meet Dali Rivera. I start meeting all these women. I met Wendy Abdul-Masi. All these women across the nation that are in COVID and are growing their business because guess what? We got to take this to the next level. So we need to connect. There's no longer in-person meeting. And I start telling them about Coquito and then I start learning stuff. People start just, you know, giving me information and I am taking notes. I am writing down stuff. I'm like, well, how do I do this? I start asking questions. Um, I start looking for answers. I start networking. I start talking and asking like, Nancy, so how did you do that? What did you do? Now, I ask questions. I look for answers. I, I move slow. I move slow. I will move, but I'll move slow, right? Because I kind of need to feel it. I'm a kinesthetic and visual learner. So I need to do it and see how it evolves. But I'll get it done. So I'd have some people tell me, oh, girl, you got to move faster. I was like, uh-huh, no, that's not me. But 
I knew I was confident that I would grow Nedas. So Nedas Coquito happens because of this whole change um, of being an educator and I needed to find another way to supplement the income. And um, I, I, you know, I'm a notary as well, but Neda has become the baby that has sort of opened the door that has, you know, you talk about your child nine months, like, hey, look at this. Look, she's grown. She's beautiful. So that's where Neda's at as she's been growing and she's been opening the doors for me. And I've been meeting people and even educators, you know, some of my some of my supporters are my fellow educators. And we show up and try to help each other out. And I have a dear friend and colleague, Cassandra Dye, that she we pray together and she's always like, girl, I'm so proud of you. And she'll buy like five bottles. And I'm like, oh my God. But you know, you get people like that in your corner cheering for you. And that's what Nedas has allowed me to then connect. Who would have thought? Who would have thought I would be talking to two sisters across the, the country? I had no idea who Amy and Nancy were, right? Never heard of you. But then, you know, it's the, this whole thing of women coming together. And that's, I tell you, let me, let me tell you, a shout out to Julie. I love Julie dearly because she just manages to connect people here and here. Danai, amazing connector, all right? And then to find out that Danai's from Miami. I was like, what? And we start connecting and start and she'll send me invites and say, hey, come over this way. Check check out this person, Dali. Oh, my God, I love her. All right. She's one of the people that I said, Dali, I'm sending you some coquito. She said, yeah, I'm going to buy some coquito. And I said, OK, tell me how it is. And she'll call me, says the packaging was great, but you need to change this. You know, so this is what Nedas has allowed. So be, the fact that my education, my profession as an educator forced me to start Nedas and Nedas meant a need, this act of service for my family, to take care of my family, to provide for my family. It also fills my soul. It fills my soul. It, I, it fills other people because not only are you drinking something that's awesome, but you're getting me and we're getting each other and we're connecting and we're, we're making memories and I've gone on a tangent. So ladies, let me stop because <laughs> that was beautiful. No, oh, that was absolutely beautiful. And uh, we can't wait to actually try it. Um, Cause it's not just a, your goal is to make it not a seasonal drink, right? Is to make it a year round. Yes. And the thing is being around the people that I am, the women that I am, that I've come in contact with, even the men that have showed up to support let me tell you, my husband is my is my supporter, but he's my chauffeur, my delivery guy, he's my security guy. Um, he's the the father of our of, of our children. And he's been such a supporter, but I've come across other men that have been supporters that support these women that are my friends, right? We have Nando, we have Herman, we have um Jorge Loyo, we have these men that show up. Right. And that they're like Jorge's wife. She's become a supporter as well. You know, they bought the coquito. They did the coquito on a shelf instead of elf on a shelf. And they ran with that. 
I didn't ask them to do that, right? They bought a bottle and they showed up. And so as we talked, they're like, well, what about this? Have you tried about this? What about flavors? Now, part of me is a purist. So that has been like, I don't know if I want to do flavors because Coquito doesn't come in flavors. And, you know, I was being kind of judgy of my other Coquito uh, makers. Like, why are you making pistachio? That's not Puerto Rican. Um, why are you making Nutella flavored Coquito? That's not Puerto Rican. And just hearing, you know, some of what I call my amigos family giving me some input. Well, why don't you try this, Luz? Why don't you try that? Okay, I'll try it. Um, but then, you know, talking with Julie, she said, um, do flavors of Puerto Rico. I was like, I had not thought about that. Mango grows in Puerto Rico, we'll do mango coquito. Pineapple grows in Puerto Rico, we'll do pineapple. Coffee, chocolate, West Indian almond grows in Puerto Rico, grows wild. Um, we have apiaries in Puerto Rico. We have so much stuff in Puerto Rico. Yes, we could do flavors, right? Because we have cocoa farms that, that we have our own brand of, of, of chocolate. We have our Jaucono, which is our brand, our Puerto Rican brand. Of so, I am going to make Puerto Rican flavor coquito. So, whatever flavor I come up with, you know, we did mango. Jorge and his wife were in Miami. Ale was is in Miami. We got together, they taste tested, they brought their friends. They're like, oh, this is not too good. I was like, okay, no problem. How do I fix it? Right? So, this is this is how all these flavors came about. So they're called vuelo, vuelo, which is uh, Spanish for flight. Okay, so the I introduced the flights in um, December, and then I introduced coquito in a box because Julie said you need to have provide people options. And I was like, but why am I going to send them the ingredients? She's like, you have people that might not cannot drink alcohol. I was like, oh, I had never thought about that. So I do coquito in a box, coquito in a box. You get the ingredients minus the alcohol. But guess what? Nancy likes tequila. Amy likes whiskey. Guess what? You add whichever one you want. You get to create your own coquito. I just supply you with the ingredients and my special spice blend. You get a box. It comes to you in a pack. And it has a, um, it comes to you in one of the bubble mailers. Uh, the bubble mailers inside of a box. And you, I put an ice pack inside. Everything is sealed. You get it. And you're able to make your own coquito. The first time I sent that, oh my goodness, I sent this to, her name escapes me right now. Um, I thought I had taken care of everything and in California. And I was trying to get it to her on time. She says, we lose. It's, it got spoiled. I was like, oh. So back to square one. How do I send this? Because even though I thought I had figured it out, guess what? I had not put in an ice pack. I got to make sure I send an ice pack. So when a customer tells me, they feel they can tell me, listen, why don't you try this? Okay, we'll try. And I told her, listen, I'm really sorry. I will give you back your money. I said, no, you don't have to. And I said, no, this is what I've learned. You, you, you know, you're giving me feedback. I want to make sure that you, you know, because I appreciate that 
And I feel bad that you spent money and you didn't get it the way you thought it was going to be. So, you know, these are lessons learned, but how do you do that? Because you got people that, that support you, that show up, that then say, well, you want to consider this, try this. Did you do this? Oh, no, I didn't think about it. Right. So that's also where that education, that educator. So now I'm the student. I'm learning and um, making myself available, making myself teachable, asking questions, looking for answers and networking because girlfriend here does not have a degree in business, but I'm learning. So. That is such an amazing story. It's so, 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 so great. I love the, how the women in your community have all come together to support you. It's so fabulous and it's so passionistas. That's what, what we're all about. <laughs> so um, we have come to the end of our hour. We want to ask you one last question before we wrap up. Yes, um, ma'am. What, and it's just a small one. <laughs> no, that's fine. I am going, I can what? talk. If you haven't figured out, I can talk. You gotta reel me in. <laughs> so um what's your dream for women? Ah oh, okay. We got what five minutes? Okay. Um <laughs> you know what? I was talking with someone and I want my dream for women is to be fearlessly exceptional. Show up, look forward. Um I never considered myself brave, but someone last night in a conversation said, you are so brave. And every year when I do like my word, fearless always comes up. And um, I want women to be fearless. Um, we do have power and I'm starting to realize how much power we have. And I want women to realize that I want you, I want when I say you, I'm talking all women. We are, we are mighty together. I've been finding that out. We are so mighty together. And we, yeah, we do need men. You know, we, we get our supports and we should not, you know, um, minimize or, or, or downplay them. But I want women to also step into that awesomeness, right? Because I just figured... You know, and I know some people would tell me God was a woman. But if you think about the power we hold, we give life. I mean, hello, we give life. Yes, the men have their contribution. I'm not telling you no. But we give life to everything. And we have to give ourselves life too. So I want women to be brave enough to just step in and just say, I can do this and find your women, find your tribe. And guess what? We could say no. No is a complete sentence. Hello. No is a complete sentence. And a complete sentence is I am. Hello. We got a subject. We got a verb. Those are complete thoughts. And I want women to know that. And I want women to keep showing up for each other. I'm 52 years old. And at this point, I've understood when I was younger, I used to say, I make better friends with men, with guys. Yeah. But at this age now, I'm realizing what I missed if I would have had more female friends. Right. So I love my sisters. They show up. And I'm talking my soul sisters, my business sisters. 
And, you know, I'm going to go to California. My son wants to go to California. So we're going to have to hook up. Okay. And you know, that, that, that's what I want women to, I want women to be brave and audacious, man, because we could do it. And, and I think that's also why more women have businesses because we get to dictate our terms. All right. You're not going to pay me the same you're paying as a guy. No problem. I'm not mad at you, but I'm going to make my, my salary then. And you can do that, you know, and, and that's, that's what I dream for women. I dream that for my daughter and I keep telling her, I can't wait to see the woman she's going to become. Cause then I'll be like, yes, that's my child. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Passionistas project and our interview with Luce Nazario to order Luce's delicious handcrafted egg-free, dairy-free, and gluten-free drink, visit natascoquito.com. And be sure to visit thepassionistasproject.com to sign up for our mailing list, find all the ways you can follow us on social media, and join our worldwide community of women working together to level the playing field for us all. We'll be back next week with another passionista who is defining success on her own terms and breaking down the barriers for herself and women everywhere. Until then, stay well and stay passionate.